We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 240. Yankees took the series against the Mets, did not uh, complete the sweep Sunday night. We are recording this portion of the podcast right after that Sunday night game. What's up, Scott? What's up, man? It was uh, it was it was kind of a slow, boring game. To tell you the truth, it was it ended up being a pitcher's duel. Um, that kid Lugo. It's it's pretty crazy to me after you watch the Mets for this entire week. Uh, and see what their their starting rotation is like. How they've lost this many games because their starting rotation is good. Like all all three of these guys pitched well against us. Right. Well, Lugo's been in the bullpen in their bullpen uh, partially. He's been swinging back and forth. Syndergaard was it was supposed to be the the Severino Syndergaard right. matchup, which I was really really looking forward to. Yeah, that would have been that would have been fun. But I mean, Lugo came in. He pitched like just throwing gas. <laughs> yeah, throwing like high cheese. I mean, he was. Um, I hadn't really seen him hit, pitch much. Uh, but he was actually kind of impressive too. So maybe maybe they'll let him go for cheaper. Right. Well, that's the thing. That's, you you ask how how come the Mets cannot seem to win games even with the the pitching that they have? It's because their bullpen has been horrendous and their yeah, their, and their offense, offense is, is, has been even more horrendous. Yeah, their offense is jack shit. They do right. it's terrible. Uh, I mean, we saw tonight even it was one bat. It was a four sliders in a row that was thrown to uh, Todd Frazier. And the last one Severino just kept over the plate a little bit much, didn't have as much bite as the others. 
and he took it into left field. I mean, he took advantage of the pitch. It was one mistake, um, but that's all he needed, I guess. First shutout of the season. That's a, it's a long way to go not to get shut out up until today. So Yeah, you mean, yeah, the Yankees, the last team in baseball to to not have been shut out this season. You don't expect it to happen when Seth Lugo is going for you, going against you, though. That, that's, that's sort of what is the, the takeaway of tonight, is that, is that Lugo was the guy that shut down the offense. Like, you get su- shut down by Syndergaard if he had gone, or even DeGrom the other night, you, you just tip your cap. But Seth Lugo kind of makes you scratch Seth your Lugo. head. Seth Lugo. Lugie, <laughs> as uh, I'm sure Girardi would have referred to him as if, if he was on his team. Speaking of Lugies, that booth uh, at Sunday Night Baseball was terrible. <laughs> what is the point? Matt Vaskurgeon doesn't belong there. I mean, like he normally is good, and I feel like he's he's just being brought down. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's bad. I mean, I don't know how I don't know how anybody stands by A Rod as a commentator. I really don't. I don't get it. Mm. I mean, everybody I know loved him when he was in the um, when he was in like the the after the post game and the pregame at Fox with with uh, crazy crazy Pete Rose. And, you know, they had like, and Swisher was in there and like, they had a whole bunch of like different character dynamics. But when he's talking the entire game and having to fill roles and fill spots, it's bad. It's just really bad. You can't also, but like you said at the top of this episode, this was a boring ass game. So the, the announcers are, are put in a bad spot when you got a game. Not really much to talk about tonight. But can you explain to me what is the point of doing, calling a game from a different part of the ballpark? What does that give us, the viewers sitting at home? Like ESPN should be tailoring their their broadcast to the people watching at home, not the 20 or 30 people sitting around the announcers in section 412 or wherever they were tonight. What the frick is the point of that? So I didn't see the uh, when they first came in and like, I guess, where they were. All I saw was just them inside the booth. It looked like a normal Sunday night booth. It no, didn't look upper, like they were in the upper deck. Yeah. It's weird. I don't know why they do that because I saw them. I guess when they were when they were in Houston, they were actually out in the field. You could see them. It was open. They were in you know? the Crawford boxes in the left yeah. field seats. But it was yeah. a lot more open. Like you could see, and this one was, looked closed off like a normal Sunday night booth. It, it was well because strange. they had they had uh, they had minions holding up umbrellas for them because it was drizzling all night. You know, Arod has that in his contract. <laughs> It would be dangerous though if it wasn't. If it wasn't, and then you could just have someone sitting above them just dump a beer over them. Like that's, yeah. a, that's dangerous. It's dangerous. It's just just a little wet. Yeah, it would be hilarious. It would be absolutely hilarious. Well, like Arod said at the top of the top of the broadcast, let's get wet. <laughs> let's get wet. <laughs> uh, what did you think of Severino's performance tonight? Because he came out in the first inning and he didn't look like himself. He threw 31 pitches and he walked two guys. Like you said, he only gave up two runs. It was five hits, seven strikeouts, 93 pitches in five innings. Maybe if it's in the American League and they didn't need to pinch hit for him, he would have gone out for the sixth. By no means am I saying this was a bad start, but it wasn't what we have seen dominant Severino. Well, no, he definitely came out a little bit off his game with the walks. I mean, that's not something you normally see. But, I mean, it's, it's right, you know, the second, third inning, he looked right back to, you know, the way, he, uh, the way he's been looking. He looked like that dominant guy who was just wiping people away. So it seems like it was just a, a minor little hiccup that, you know, it didn't hurt him except for the pitch count if you want to talk about that because he could have maybe got another inning if he didn't get so, uh, so deep into the pitch count in the first inning. But, I mean... If that's if that's if that's what we're seeing as like a blip on the radar for Severino starts, like that's pretty freaking good. But that kind of speaks to how good he's been. He's elevated himself to a level where you expect seven innings and one or two runs every time he goes out there, and that that's the elite category he's put himself in. 
Yeah, I mean, he was shutting this. I mean, shutting them down. It was he, he walked away uh, with the two runs because of the Frazier. But you know, it was a it was a mediocre. It wasn't even a terrible pitch, but it leaked back over the plate, and he was looking for it. So he put a good swing on it. One bad pitch, really. I mean, you're looking at that, and and he put it over the over the uh, the left field wall. But other than that, you're talking about another shutout, even when he wasn't totally on his game. But I, I mean, I'd argue that after the first inning, he was back to that that normal guy. He looked like he had the confidence, and he was. Uh, I mean, at one point, he thought there were still two outs when he already had gotten three. Like he's so good, he didn't even realize he got three people out. He's like, oh, I got that guy out so fast, I didn't realize. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, so I mean, he came right back and 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 got his pitch count, you know, closer to where it needed to be, but still. Still started. They definitely uh, ran ran it up on him. So I mean, that was a win for them, I guess. If they're looking at yeah, they followed a couple t- tough pitches off and stuff like that. One weird thing I, I thought was that when Todd Frazier stole the base and he got the running lead, yeah. and and it looked like Severino just completely forgot he was over there, didn't pay attention to him. That that's something that you just don't see from from Sevy. I mean, they said it on the broadcast, and I do agree. It was probably something that Frazier had seen and knew before that from playing with them for half of a year. I mean, he knew. Something, you know, if whether he doesn't look over immediately on the first pitch or I, I don't know, he picked up on something and just took off because he's not stealing that bag. I mean, Gary Sanchez, Gary Sanchez had no, no, oh, he was no chance three quarters of the way down the yeah. baseline. By so the he time was just he trying to get the ball, ball out of his hand and, and, and hope it was in anywhere close to the vicinity. But there was no chance in getting uh, Frazier because it was completely stolen off of Severino. So, yeah, he either tipped something off or heard he knew something. Um, but, you know, that's the guy that freaking beats us, the one guy that. That had played the year before um, for half a season with uh, with the Yankees, so there were things that he I think picked up on. Yeah, he looked jazzed up to play the Yankees. He was jazzed up. He had a whole bunch of people in the box. He's getting all jersey on everybody. He was uh, he was he was happy as could be. Getting all jersey on people. What does that mean exactly? You're you're from Jersey. Explain that. It's just the way he talks. There's no other, the no hand, other explanation. The hand movements and everything. He was just getting, yeah, he was just getting real jersey. Yeah. But the, uh, you know, he had a bunch of people up in the box and uh, right. all, all this other crap. So whatever, man, I have a hard time uh, not liking him. He's a, he's one of those guys that just, he's uh, infectious. Some yeah. people probably don't like him but now, but I got a hard time not liking him. Well, those are the people that just root for the laundry and only the laundry. Yeah. I don't like him tonight because he kicked he, our ass beat tonight us. with that pitch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. As uh, as A Rod and Veskirgin and uh, Jessica Mendoza said a thousand times, he's a great ambassador of the game. You got to put a label on something, I guess. Right. A Rod's probably uh, going home right now by via bus. Couple taking, of uh, taking some public transportation. There were a couple couple moments maybe late in that game, eighth inning, when Judge was up as the tying run, and then he got on because of the error by Reyes, didn't touch the bag. He, a couple of times that you thought maybe the Yankees were going to come back again, it just didn't happen. So, I don't know, what do you say? It was still a, still a good series win. You take two out of three, that's what you're, you're trying to do, is just keep winning series, and they're moving on to Washington. Uh, just a quick note for everyone listening, we did record the rest of this podcast before the Sunday night game, we get into everything, obviously Tanaka and all that stuff. So stay tuned for for all of that. That's the bulk of the podcast. Uh, Scott, anything else on this Sunday night game before we uh, move on? That's it. It's a series win. Whether you look at it or not, I know we lost the last game, so it's got a little bit of a salty taste in your mouth. But at the end of the day, you win the series, you move on, like you said. Um, and, you know, progressing in the season is all about winning series. You win the series, you're going to end up with a ridiculous record at the end of the year. 
There are a million things demanding your time. Contact lenses should not be one of them. That's why we're excited about a great new company called Simple Contacts that is making the process of renewing your prescription and buying contacts simple. Simple Contacts is the most convenient way to get your lens prescriptions renewed and stock up on your brand of lenses. Get this, instead of taking time off and spending hours at the doctor just to renew your prescription, you can now do it online in under five minutes. This is vision care for the 21st century. Here is how it works. All you do is take a quick self-guided vision test right from your phone or computer. It's reviewable by a licensed doctor within 24 hours and you receive a renewed prescription and reorder your brand of contacts. Or if you already have a prescription that is not expired, you can do that too. You just upload a photo of it or your doctor's information and order your lenses in minutes for a great price. Simple Contacts offers every brand of lenses and their prices are unbeatable. Plus, this vision test is just $20 compared with an annual appointment, which can go up to $200 without insurance. Shipping is free. Best of all, listeners of the Bronx Pinstripe Show get 30 bucks off their first Simple Contacts order. To save $30 on your lenses, go to simplecontacts.com slash Bronx or enter code Bronx at checkout. And I also want to mention that this isn't a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam. You still need to do those. Got to put that disclaimer in there. So again, to get 30 bucks off, go to simplecontacts.com slash Bronx or enter code Bronx at checkout. All right, guys, if you have not gotten your tickets yet for the June 29th Yankees Red Sox game, make sure you go and do it. This is going to be the last week uh, where you can guarantee the shirt by the event date. We're going to be getting those out early the following week so that everybody has them in hand for the game. Remember, it's a Friday night game, uh, so the, the you know we have to get everything there a little earlier. Uh, Friday deliveries are not acceptable this time, so we got to make sure that we get them uh, early on. So make sure you get your tickets this week. Again, if you haven't seen this, you've been living under a rock. Uh, the tickets are eighty-four bucks. Andrew was talking about this, looking on the secondary markets, looking on um, you know the all the the, the places where you can get your tickets, uh, SeatGeek, StubHub, all those places, well over $100 for any seat in this section. And Andrew, you saw other sections, right? They're going up. I mean, it's, it's, oh, yeah. It's I mean, our section, our section 205 was 135 but even if you want it to be up in the nosebleeds, you're still spending 100 bucks. There you go. So these are $84. I way underpriced these, so take advantage of that. <laughs> uh, again, if you have a group of 10 or more, you'll get your ticket for free. You're the captain of your group. You got to let me know. Uh, but if you put that together, then you are uh, you're in for a free ticket, which is even freaking better. So get your people together, start sending those texts out, get the people uh, ready to go. You're going to get a T-shirt. There's a uh, pregame will be at the dugout before the game, uh, probably starting around five o'clock uh, and drink specials. And you're getting the T-shirt for the game. And also the section uh, 205 is where we will most likely all be sitting. Uh, so 84 bucks. Can't beat that. We've already gotten over 150 people coming to the, this game. Um, and I expect this thing to sell a lot leading up to the event. So don't be left hanging uh, high and dry without a ticket. They're going to go. Our boy, Masahiro Tanaka, with a stunning display of athleticism <laughs> on Friday, running the bases, pulls both hamstrings. You really got to have a special kind of athleticism to pull both hammies running the bases. You know, it's it's just like when you pull both hamstrings like that, it, I, I tweeted this out. I mean, this is a middle-aged dad injury. This is something that you haven't moved in a certain motion in a long time. And then all of a sudden you're doing this. Like I was joking. Uh, it's kind of not a joke, but like this was actually like four or five years ago. I was bagging leaves in at my yard, in my yard, and I was putting 
ba- the, the leaves in a bag. And I just like stood up and my back was like, oh, oh there it oh, goes. Oh, yeah. You were probably bending there it over goes. all at the waist. Yeah. Shot up. Oh, yeah. yeah. Muscles there- like haven't done this in 20 years. No, thanks. And I'm like, oh, I'm done. And then, you know, that's that's <laughs> kind of what this is. Like this guy pulls both hamstrings running the base. I, I understand people are like, oh, professional athlete need to run 90 feet and not get injured. Yes, and correct. I do agree. I do agree that <laughs> there is that level of athleticism that is needed to be a professional athlete, especially knowing on a given day that you're going to take swings, whether it's as ridiculous as it is, you're going to take swings and chances are you might maybe get on base. And if you do get on base, you're going to be running. So maybe a little bit more preparation but, and stretching. But people act like pitchers never have to run. There's plenty of times where they have to sprint over to first base, and that's from a stop position. So they should be able to do motions like this. Tanaka, he got on base. It was an error. Immediately, you're holding your breath. Oh, God, not another Chingming Wong situation. Pitchers running the bases is always scary. We'll get into all the DH stuff in a minute. But just from a standpoint of this guy is a pro athlete asked to run 90 feet, sprint 90 feet on a sack fly. He should be able to do that without pulling both hamstrings. (laughs) He went station to station too. I mean, they they did everything they they could right. to help him out. This wasn't a triple in the gap that no, he had. He to wasn't go going home first to third. First. <laughs> this was a this was a, a pretty. Uh, to, to tell you the truth, I was surprised that he actually went. I because the ball was kind of mid range, if not yeah. if not shallow. So I'm like, ooh, it's actually close. They may not send him. And but I, you're I, facing Degrom. He's on his yeah. game. Well, I don't even think Tanaka looked. I mean, honestly, I just think Tanaka was like, I'm going because like we need this run. I'm going because I'm pitching <laughs> and I need the run. So. Yeah, I, I think he did. And then at some point, I thought when he was going on the baseline, like I thought he was going to face plant. It looked like he was about to eat <laughs> he shit. He tripped. Yeah. You could see it. It was about 10 feet yes. from home. You could see him feel both hamstrings probably pop simultaneously. And he's, he had that, that look on his face like, oh, God, what did I just do? Almost like he just crapped himself. And he's like, just make it home. Just make it home. Yeah. Well, I mean, you do know that feeling. So you would know, recognize it on another man's face. <laughs> right, thanks but for when, that up. when, uh, when he was doing this, I didn't see injury. Like when I was watching, I'm like, oh, he tripped. I thought he tripped and just like had a stutter step. No, absolutely not. So, you know, it's one of those things that you could go down to the DH and talk about the National League and, and, and bitch and complain about how it's stupid because it is. You're not going to hear me say it's not because I, I don't like it. I think everybody should be on the same uh, playing field. But at the same time, like, come on, you know what? Have some, have some ability to, to run. I mean, you're, you're a pitcher. You use your legs. It's probably the most important part of your body when you're pitching. It's where you drive. It's where your strength comes from. And you're not able to, to run 90 feet. It's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. And the Wong situation, if I remember correctly, he kind of turned an ankle on home plate and ended up breaking his foot, right? It was like a Linz Frank injury. I think it ended up being a, a stress fracture. Uh, right. That's almost at some point. That's a, that's, a, that's a freak injury. This is yeah. a muscle. This is a muscle issue. Yeah, this is so on, on, on one hand, that's good because this will heal itself. He just needs time. After the game, Boone said he expects Tanaka to miss weeks. He's on the 10 day DL, but he will be out for more than just those 10 days. But I, I, I'm not this is not going to screw the Yankees over for the rest of the season because Tanaka will be back once his hamstrings are healed. But I mean, but if this, they heal, that this is a, this is one of those things. It's a soft tissue injury. They can come back. Yeah, no, it's a it's a what did you say? A UI, it's a UI soft uh, UI <laughs> tissue injury. I mean, uh, you don't know. Like those things re-aggravate. Right. So if you're if you have UI hamstrings now, who's to say you're not going to have UI hamstrings in September? Yeah, well, the the trainer needs to get in there and get some deep tissue massages going on Tanaka because 
He looked like the kid like you pick last in softball running. Like that's what he looked like running. But I mean, that's what you expect. That's what a pitcher looks like when they run. They don't look athletic at all, and that's fine. They're not. They're not freak athletes. But you, you still no no no. But no, I'm sorry. Again, this is back to back to the same thing. If you are in the major leagues, if you are a pro in any sport. You should be able to do simple things. Yeah, they should like be able run. to do it, but he still looks like a... This was, we did not bad. ask Tanaka to go dunk a basketball or to go catch a 10-yard pass over the middle and avoid a linebacker. This is running 90 feet in a straight line. Yeah, he didn't even slide. He just, he just ran in. <laughs> he just ran and, and had his hamstrings die. Do you think that if he had a, a play and it was like a close play at second base, he would have run through the bag? <laughs> yeah, he just doesn't know the rules of running. And I get he hasn't done it. He and this is why it's dumb that the National League has no DH because every other league in in the world has a DH. He, ha, he there was DH in Japan, DH in the minors, DH in college, high school, all this stuff. And it's not in the majors. Is there in, a DH in, in high school now? I don't I don't even know. Yeah, I don't, but I don't high school is, you're you're 16 years old and you It can, doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter. But college it has it all through the minors, even the National League minors, which makes no sense. It's like you, you don't have to hit until you get to the highest level. Yeah. And it, who the hell wants to watch a pitcher hit? No pitchers can hit. That, the, that, that's the problem. That's, that's like one of the bigger things too. That they're so worried about the game and like the quality of the game and and putting out a good product. Like that's the part I don't really understand. They've made all of these changes to make the product better. So why are we still watching pitchers hit? Why am I still watching Domingo Herman go up there? And obviously he's not swinging. I mean he walked, which is utterly ridiculous. Right. But but he's fake bunting because he's not swinging. Like he's not going to swing after what happened to Tanaka. They're just like go up there, do whatever you need to do, dance in the box. I don't care. Don't swing. Maybe you'll get a walk. I mean, and, and I am did. fine with that. Yeah, but but that's the thing. It's nobody wants to see that crap. It's a waste of four minutes. It's it's a waste of an at bat. It's and he's got to come up at least twice if he's uh you know if he's getting into the fifth inning, sixth inning, probably three times. It's just a it's it's a part of the game. It's so easily eliminated. Yeah, and then you get the National League hardos who do not want to get rid of the uh, the pitcher. They think it's the purity of the game. This is how baseball was originally designed, blah, blah, blah. It has more strategy. You have to make more managerial decisions. You actually get more players in each game because you have at least one or two pinch hitters every day. You have pinch running and all that kind of stuff. I get all of that. And if you if you tell me the that the American League is getting rid of the DH, I will be upset because I think I'd rather have the DH, but I think the leagues should just be the same. It is asinine. It'd be like the Western Conference and the NBA having the, the three-point line actually be a four-point line. Yeah, it's, it makes no sense. The continuity, especially the fact that they play each other all the time now and they're, they're constantly going back and forth to each other's parks. The rules are changing within the season. I mean, I understand before where they don't see each other till the World Series. And even then, you, you know, when you're at the other person's park, you have to go by their rules. So, but it's, it's only one series. The thing is now they're going all over the place. Now there's constant, there's constant um, interleague play. So why are we still playing by different rules? The, the yeah, game has I, evolved in the sense that they're all playing each other. The schedules are changed. Play by the same rules. I was listening to uh, John and Susan pregame one of the games last week and uh, one of the games in Toronto. And Susan was talking about how she saw uh, Severino, Herman, and Tanaka taking batting practice, but not batting practice in a cage. They were just doing soft toss and they were totally dicking around. She didn't say dicking around, but you could tell what she was watching was they were not taking it seriously. So it's, it's just like treated like a whole big joke. Like, oh, isn't this funny? We have to go up there and look foolish. 
Yeah, but that's the problem, though. It is, it's actually a real at bat in a real game that, that could right. have something to do with the way that you either win or the way you lose that particular game. So it has, it has uh, consequences, and, and that's the point. These guys are not meant to be going up there and hitting. They don't practice this. They don't work on this, and they shouldn't because that's not what they do most of the time. 90, 99% of the time, they're not touching a bat. They have no need for that. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's ridiculous. That all being said... Be able to run 90 feet. Be able to do that. Be able to run down, squat down, pick up a ball in front of home plate and throw to first. Like all these things, you need to have some athletic ability when you're on the mound uh, to be able to, to, to field your position and run some bases. It's really not that difficult. And it, it does bother me the fact that, you know, the conditioning is, is, is at a level where you can't run 90 feet. When they, when they said both hamstrings, I was like, you, you've got to be kidding me. Like this is a joke now, right? Like yeah. one, okay, both if you didn't laugh, if you're out there listening and you did not laugh when you saw both hamstrings, then I don't want to know you as a person because it's just downright hilarious. It's yeah, it's it's ridiculous. It's utterly ridiculous. Like you laugh at it because it's so stupid. Of course. Yeah, it, it's uh, yeah. You're laughing at the pitifulness of it. But the the problem is that he's going to miss time. And Tanaka, as inconsistent as he's been all season, is still an important part of this team. And if you lose him it hurts the rotation or an already damaged rotation. He looked pretty good in the game after he gave up the home run to Nimmo on the first batter. He totally shut the Mets down, took advantage of a weak lineup. He only gave up that one hit and that one run. He uh, struck out eight, walked only one in five innings. So this sucks because Tanaka was in a groove after that, and now they have to fill his spot in the rotation next time Friday against Tampa. Yeah, and all these things that we're talking about, if we're we're seeing a Tanaka that has been improving and and a guy that's been... Um, you know, stepping up his game uh, as of uh, as the season goes on. Now we start all over again, basically, because he's going to be out the however long it is, and you know that he's going to have to do some rehab, and he's going to have to make sure. And who knows if he comes back on in time, and and he's basically going to be starting from from zero again. I mean, yeah, he'll be able to keep his arm condition, I'm sure, um, slightly by throwing, but they're not going to. He's not going to be able to do everything. He's not going to be able to, to move much, and I'm sure they're going to limit, uh, you know, any of the movement that he has. So. It's, it's basically starting all over again. So all the stuff that we've, we've seen, out the window. Right. We're sitting here on June 10th. He could very well be out until after the All-Star break. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a very real possibility. Very real possibility. So, <clears throat> so what are they going to do to fill the rotation? At, at least they said they will promote from within for the start on Friday. That doesn't mean that that guy will be in the rotation there going forward. But we will see someone from the minors get the start on Friday. Yeah, Esteban Loiza, right? Uh, Jonathan, <laughs> I know Esteban Loaiza is definitely not pitching any longer. He is uh, the Jonathan. Let's 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 pronounce this phonetically. Loaiza, Loaiza, Jonathan Loaiza is going to be coming up. He's on the forty, so that's why it's appealing. He's in Double A right now, so I think people are going to see that and be like, "What?" And he why? started in Tampa this year. Yeah, so this is you know a guy that, but they're high on him. Uh, what is he? He's ranked number twelve in the system. Yeah. Um, young dude. The other guys that people are thinking of, Chase Adams, uh, Justice Sheffield, Josh Rogers, David Hill. One, Chase Adams, uh, Chance Adams has been bad lately. Uh, just, you know, from the this whole year has been a struggle for him. And I know last year we were looking at, you know, one of the reasons they were really not happy with the way he progressed was because of the, you know, the quality of strikes that he's throwing, the amount of strikes he's throwing. He's walking guys still. You know, like he's, he's definitely having 
uh, a regression of a year. Uh, and, and it's unfortunate because this was a guy that looked like he was going to turn a corner and, and just hasn't. And then Justice Sheffield is, uh, you know, they're, so, they, they're still high on him. There's no doubt about it. And he's been doing well. But he just got into, into AAA. And I feel like they're still yeah. going to take his time. Take time. I think, they're, I think they're nursing Sheffield a I, little bit more. Like Loisiga, if we see him get called up, people might say, well, how can he make a jump from AA to the majors, but you can't have Sheffield make a jump from AAA to the majors? And I get that. And there's 40-man roster positioning that also factors into this. But Loisiga kind of ran up the boards the last year. He's had a really he's progressed a lot in the last year. He's number 12 in their system. Sheffield is their top-ranked pitching prospect. They want to make sure when he gets called up, he has checked every box in the minors. And frankly, I don't think they care as much with Loisiga if he does that. Well, I don't know if it's that they don't care. It's just that I think Sheffield's definitely a higher prospect. There's no doubt about it. But he's also um, a guy that is, you know, he's he's also he came back from an injury at the end of last year. There's just there's just other implications, I think, with him. Um, and and yeah, they they see they see him I and mean, he's projecting as a 100 percent major league starter you know, probably top three in the rotation. If people were, were looking at something, if you were to get up there, that's, they see that type of guy in him. Um, so yeah, I just, I do think they're, they're taking their time with him a little bit more. And I think the 40 man rotate, the 40 the man roster um, situation has a lot to do with, you know, why they're going to be calling up um, this kid instead of a guy like Sheffield. <laughs> I'm not even going to say his name. Loisiga. I don't even, that doesn't sound right. It sounds horrible. It doesn't sound right, but I, I looked up the phonetic spelling to make sure because you know, us and names do not mix. No, they don't. Loisiga. I feel well, like I'm saying uh, something in a different language. And it, it seems like it would be... So Rosenthal reported that he was going to get the start in Monday's doubleheader, if not for all the the rainouts. So it totally seems like this is at least a quick fix because of the 40-man roster shuffling. Yeah, no, that, that, that's exactly what it is. That's, and if he's only up for a start or two starts, fine. But other guys like Sheffield, Josh Rogers, even David Hale, who no one wants to see again, they would all need to be added to the 40-man roster. So that could happen. That could very well happen. But it just might not happen this week. It might happen in, in three, four weeks from now when they know a little bit better uh, on the timeline of Tanaka and also what they're going to do at the trade deadline. That all factors into this. Tanaka's status and how long he's going to be out and what they do at the deadline will all factor in to if they want to let Sheffield come up and really grow into something into this rotation or if they're just looking for quick fixes. Well, and the other thing is, is we have to see if if uh, if Loziga is coming up and he's the guy that's going to be throwing and, and he's just absolutely bombs and he doesn't do well at all. You know, they're going to have to make a move sooner than later. They're going to have to look at this because Tanaka is not coming back anytime soon. We know what happened with Montgomery. So they're a pitcher short. They're going to have to make a move as far as shuffling somebody around on um, you know, the way that they, uh, they, they can do the DLs to try to get someone into the 40 or they're going to have to drop someone at this point. But, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if sooner than later they were to um, make a move and, and we saw, you know, either either Sheffield, if he if he has another start and, and, and does well and they think he's ready or Josh Rogers, I think, is, a, is the guy that, that we would. Um, I don't think they're going to make any like big moves at all to make to get David Hale onto the rotation, onto the 40 man, <laughs> you know, but I could no. see them doing that for. Uh, Josh Rogers. Well, the thing is, AJ Cole is a, is still on the roster, and he barely ever pitches. So you lose him, you lose him. Right. I mean, that's another guy who came up as a starter as well. Was a starter in 
uh, in Washington. Uh, there's there's potentials in the major leagues as well for them to start getting stretched out. Adam Warren is a guy that they could stretch out. Uh, Cole is a guy that they could stretch out. So there are two potential guys that they could look at stretching out as well and, and throwing in there. I mean, they have time now, especially if someone is not – if they're not – um, if they are bringing somebody up for the, the next slot, it comes up, what was it, Friday or Saturday, then they yeah. can they can absolutely start stretching out these guys. I wouldn't be surprised either if they were to go into a game like that and start, you know, one of the and, and go a little bullpenning action with uh, with one of those starts by starting a guy like Warren or Cole who has experience starting games. Right. If you're on like a 50 or 60 pitch limit, then you kind of have to do that. Yeah. So, I mean, you're basically, yeah, exactly. And if you're coming up on the minors, it's going to be a similar situation anyway. So um, I could see them doing that unless they believe that one of these guys from, from Scranton who has the potential of coming up and staying up is ready. Yeah. And it kind of goes back to, I'm thinking um, as we're talking through this, man, if Sonny Gray can actually, if this is like Sonny Gray stepping in the right direction and then you can have two guys you're relying on, totally changes how much stress this is going to put on the entire team. Yeah, but, but that's a huge if still. We're getting ahead of ourselves. Of course ourselves. it's a still it's still a huge but if. It's, but it's also circling the fact how how, how extremely how important, he important he is right now. I mean, now that Tanaka is down, I mean, it's, it, he was before, important before. I mean, level that up because now he's even, he, he's a must. I mean, we need Sonny Gray to be the same, the guy that's been out here the past three out of four starts. We need him to be that guy. It's, it's no longer an, an hopeful uh, situation. Like We need you to be the actual pitcher that you're supposed to be. Next thing he needs to do, he's going to be starting at home this week against the Nationals, probably. He's going to be at least lined up to pitch against the Nationals at home. Can he do it at Yankee Stadium? He has not yet. Yeah, and that's a that's a formidable lineup to deal with, too. I mean, that's a very good lineup. Uh, last time I looked, they were in first place, but they should be in first place in that division if they're not. That's a, that's a very good lineup that's uh, at home. So you want to check all those boxes of seeing Sonny Gray do it at home and then seeing Sonny Gray doing it against an opponent that's not Kansas City or Baltimore then there you go. This is this is the game everybody's looking at then. Yeah, they've been seesawing with the Braves for first place, but but the Nationals are the best team in that division. They have the most talent by far in that division. Oh, there's no doubt. And the Braves are a super young team. They're um I don't know. They they're one of those teams I, I expect to fade off. Uh fade out towards the uh you know as the as the season goes on. Fading like the Mets are fading. I mean the Mets drop like a rock. <laughs> I wouldn't call that <laughs> they, a fade. They've scored They've scored like five runs in their last 50 games, it seems like. Their offense has just been pitiful. But the thing they do have in their back pocket is Jacob deGrom, who's been one of the best pitchers in baseball, maybe the best pitcher in baseball this season. Showed it on Friday night. They got the unearned run with Tanaka scoring, as we just said. But then Brett Gardner again comes up with such an enormously huge clutch home run. This one, I had total flashbacks to that Cubs series last year where he just stole that game. It was the same sort of line drive to right field silenced every home fan in that ballpark he's pumped up going around the bases Brett Gardner people gave up on him in April but he's just had an awesome May I mean he's been so good he's been so damn good lately and yeah that I mean when you looked at who he did it against too because DeGrom was just nasty and I filthy I haven't watched him pitch in a while I mean I, I definitely watched him pitch earlier in his career but I haven't I haven't watched him pitch over the I don't know the last year or so and I forgot just how, how really good he was. And I mean, I knew how good he was, but I for watching it with your own eyes, you see how special the kid is. And I mean, that fastball up in the zone, man, is just, it's, it's very difficult to hit. And he, uh, and he, he's got such an easy delivery and such easy, uh, such easy gas that his other pitches, while he can locate them, he's filthy. He really is. Right. Uh, Brett Gardner, May 1st through right now, 321 average, 400 on base, 
532 slugging. He has 13 extra base hits, 13 walks, and only 17 strikeouts. And he's been so good that his war is Fangraph's war leaderboard. It's 2.1, which ranks second on the Yankees behind Judge and number 21 overall in baseball among offensive players. So everyone wanted Brett Gardner released on April 30th. And since then, he since then he's probably been the Yankees' best player. Yeah. And even up to that point, we've said this a hundred times, but even up to that point, when he was struggling, he was still getting on base, still doing the things that the little things that he needed to do, working the count, giving guys extra looks at certain pitchers. You saw other guys doing well that were batting behind him. You know, a lot of that credit, and I guarantee if you asked them and said, you know, what what does Brett Gardner do for this team? One of the things they're going to say is he extends at bats. He gives us better looks at what the pitcher is doing. And that's a big factor in with this team. So even when he was struggling, he was helping the team. Even when he was struggling, he's playing a good left field. Like the guy is is so valuable now because also he could play in center field. He could play left field, does both positions well. You know, he's just a, he's an absolute... Um, you know, valuable guy on this team, not to mention the, the the veteran leadership that, you know, this team doesn't really have much of anymore. There's not a lot of veteran guys being the most tenured guy out there. You know, they, these guys look to him. They absolutely look to him uh, in a big way. He's the veteran on offense. He sees the veteran on the pitching staff. Yep. And Boone has said that a thousand times. There was, um, it, I think it was Smoltz on the broadcast on Saturday said, <clears throat> excuse me, said Boone called him the heartbeat of the lineup. Yeah, and Smoltz is annoying, by the way. <laughs> Smoltz is really annoying. Listen, I don't know if if anybody. I didn't realize how annoying he is, and just the amount of talk he hates he does. the Yankees. He God. hasn't gotten over ninety six. All he does is it's talk so about random shit. Like, dude, he's like, it's like he's trying to act like he's smarter than everybody else when he's talking. Like, I, I half the stories, I just want <laughs> you to stop talking, please, just stop talking. Anyway, sorry, <laughs> he, he was really annoying me. I and mean, it was Joe Buck wasn't even there on Saturday, and John Smoltz took his spot with annoying the hell out of me. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, the, he's he, they're both these guys are you know you can't replace them as far as like in, intrinsic value you just can't replace them. Another nugget of injury news that we got over the weekend: Aroldis Chapman has apparently been dealing with tendonitis in his left knee for about three weeks, but he's been pitching through it because um, you saw him limp when he was going behind third to uh, back up the play on Friday, and that kind of kind of just were surprised like what's going on? What did he do? Did he just turn an ankle or something? But He's been pitching through this tendonitis, and I actually saw um, on Twitter that there was a dip in his velocity on May 12th. You remember that May 12th game against Oakland where he loaded the bases with walks? He was extremely wild. The trainer came out, was looking at his finger. Gardner saved his ass by throwing out a guy at home plate. Yankees ended up winning the game, but it was definitely the worst Chapman had looked all season. Maybe that's when he had one of these knee flare-ups, and he's been dealing with with it ever since. Well, and the way Boone was talking about it, he's like, yeah, he's got a little bit of tendonitis in this. It sounds like it's he's been dealing with it for a while, and it's not. It, maybe it's just flaring up a little bit now, but it's something that he's been just dealing with for uh, you know a long time, and I think it'll probably stay with him for a while. I think some of these guys, some of these bigger guys, especially who've been you know in the league for a long time, they're going to have tendonitis in a lot of their joints, and it's just a matter of you know managing it. I, but I guarantee, if you asked, I don't know, nine out of ten major leaguers, they'd all say they have tendonitis somewhere. Yeah. He's been he's been still very effective, so <laughs> hasn't really hasn't really uh, affected no, his your, performance. You, you see some walks, you see him going wild occasionally, but but he's like that. Oh, that that's Chapman. Yeah, he doesn't give up hard hit balls. Right, he doesn't give up hard hit balls, and he's gonna be wild at times. And we've talked to the, to that point. Like this, that's part of his effectiveness. Part of his effectiveness is being wild a little bit because you know that makes that fastball just that much more. 
Makes you second guess that fastball a little bit more. There was um, a stat that uh, Frank found. Um, uh, barrels, which basically if you square up, the, square up the ball against someone, it's usually uh, barrels, usually an extra base hit or a home run. Chapman has not given up any barrels this year. No barrels. That's a good thing. No barrels. Yes. Zero barrels. Last episode we had mentioned we were going to talk about the Yankees and what they did in the draft, so we're going to do that right now. Um, if you're a draft expert and you dive into all 40 of these rounds and all 40 of the players that the Yankees pick, well, then good on you. You're a better person than I am. It's just amazing how, how long, how many players there are in the MLB draft. And it makes sense. You have to fill so many spots uh, in your minor leagues, and you don't even ever sign all of the guys because ne- negotiations go on, some things fall through, guys choose college. If you're drafted in the 37th round, do you want to go stick in, in, uh, in rookie ball somewhere or do you want to go to college? So breakdown of what the Yankees did for their 40 rounds, 31 college players, 9 prep school players, 16 hitters, 10 of them were out of college, 4 outfielders, 6 infielders, 6 catchers, which we're going to talk about, 24 pitchers, 21 right-handed pitchers, and three lefties. That six catchers really sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah, well, I also, the other one that sticks out to me is the, uh, the amount of college players that they picked, too. There's 21 of those, right, of those pitchers were from college. So I, I think that's, that's talking about, you know, the, the way that, that a lot of these guys develop their pitching staffs and, and how, you know, maybe when you're looking at a guy coming out of high school, they got to be just like that special, and probably you're going to be, you know, taken in the top um, 20 picks top 30 picks depending on their signability as well but the majority of the guys that are in college are a little bit more developed you see more of what they are it's such a random shot in the dark to take a picture out of high school I think that's that's a little bit telling to me when you're looking at that number and, and because you don't see as you know 16 uh, the, the, the percentage of um, hitters out of out of high school and the high the guys that are higher up most of them a, a lot of them are from um, the the prep school high school ranks right and sometimes you just get the freak talent out of out of prep yeah, school absolutely that that you draft because you're in the first couple rounds you're never drafting in baseball for need if you need a shortstop at the major league level you don't necessarily draft a shortstop because that guy's so far away you just draft the best player that you've evaluated and that's what the Yankees did with Anthony Siegler who can do freaking everything on the baseball <laughs> field in high school yes he can this is a this is a kid that that obviously is is talented. He's a freak athlete. Not going to pull hamstrings running from uh, you know first uh, no, to you second just second him. to third third to home. But this is a you know he's in high school. He's switched pitching, switched hitting. He's a catcher. Like he could pretty much do everything. And and you know obviously when you're looking at these abilities, you're not going to look at numbers and and you know what he could do pitching wise. But the ability to do that, the, to, to throw with both hands at a, at a high level and, and, and able to throw like 80-plus miles per hour from both arms, that's impressive. And then also play positions and be able to hit. It's an impressive play catcher, kid. though. It's, it's not, I mean, catcher is – got to spend a lot of time being a catcher. So the fact that he did that and was able to switch pitch – switch pitching does not make sense in my brain. I don't understand how someone can have the athleticism and the accuracy and the strength in your non-dominant and the hand coordination. to do something like pitching. The coordination of that is, is insane. Right. I get hitting. Like, I, I can go into a batting cage. I'm right-handed. I can go into a batting cage and make decent contact left-handed. I mean, I'm not bragging or anything like that, but it can just be done. It's going to look ugly, but you get enough force behind it. You can do it. I look like a child, like a little child throwing the ball left-handed. So to be able to do it is just so mind-boggling. 
Well, because when you're hitting and you go into the left hand bo- the left hand box, you could still use your right hand. Uh, you know, your left hand is your, is your oh, guy. Oh, exactly. Hand. But it's you can all, still use your right hand, hand at that point. Yeah, so you're, you're using a lot of that. Like a right-handed guy going into the left-handed bat is going to use their right hand when they don't have any experience. So you could still be done to, to a certain level. But the, the fact that you're, you can throw with a left hand as well with like any kind of coordination and accuracy and strength, that's ridiculous. So, yeah, I, that's – to me, like when you're looking at that, just the athleticism of that is – is highly impressive. So the kid's a freak athlete. That's very obvious. Um, the fact that he's a catcher. I mean, yeah, we could all say that the Yankees were taking the best talent at where they were, but at the same time, and, and I'm sure this was in their brains as well, is you look at what's happened with the, the catching depth in the minor leagues of the Yankees is it's definitely thinned out a lot. I mean, everybody that is, uh, you know, they're highly touted guys have been moving up in the ranks and are in the major leagues or in triple a, like they don't have a lot of depth in the, in the, in the catcher, uh, position anymore whereas before you know before Gary Sanchez was in the pros like this was a strength absolutely of the Yankees uh, and since trades and guys who have been brought up it's definitely thinned out uh, as much so you know the fact that they took six catchers like you're going to take a lot of depth but you know the the top talent at that point they also identified as catchers so it worked out nicely yeah their second round pick Josh Bro he's a he's kind of the opposite type of catcher as Siegler is he's got a lot of power but he needs to develop on his receiving skills they didn't draft him. I mean, I know what you're saying, that they're trying to restock a position that used to be a strength of them. But at the same time, Josh Bro was probably just the top guy they had on the board at that time. No, yeah, I think it, it speaks more to the, the other four catchers that were taken where they're looking at depth and, and maybe trying to see a guy that's a little bit more of a diamond um, yeah. in the rough. And they're trying to find you know a guy that they can shape a little bit more. But the fact that they took that much depth in there is, is very telling because... It has thinned out, and, and that's one of those areas that they need to develop more. So they got six shots in the dark right here. Another thing I, I was thinking about with Siegler, and the Yankees are going to have him just focus on offense and, and catching. They're not going to have him pitch. At least I haven't read anything that they're going to have him pitch. But depending on what happens with Otani, and it's kind of good timing because he is on the DL, sprained UCL, he had PRP injections, and it's just all is leading to Tommy John surgery. If Otani, though, does pan out and he works for the Angels as a two-way player, will we see teams start to develop two-way players? Because it's never been done. It's never been done for many, many reasons. Mostly, the guys just don't have the talent that Otani has. But it's also risky, and we see why with injuries. And also, just to develop those players takes a long time. But if it works out and Otani brings a lot of value... Could teams start to do this? It's kind of kind of interesting. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a hundred percent no, because <laughs> because I, I think if you're seeing this and, and a guy's coming in from another country and playing in another league like Otani does, then the the, um, the major league teams are really not paying for this guy to develop at that point. What they're doing is they're seeing a talent that has come that far and they're able to identify it and able to then embrace it. Like one, this is this is one of those ones like it doesn't happen. It's it's Babe Ruth. And it's Otani. Like, there aren't guys that have done this at, at a successful level uh, at all. So this is a unicorn. Unicorns don't, don't appear out of nowhere. They, they are very rare. Very rare. Have you seen it? Name one person who's listening to the show who's seen a unicorn. Can't, because they haven't. But the fact <laughs> well, it is... Depends, depends you, what kind of mushrooms you take. You can't develop a guy like that, because at what point do you say, well, we have to focus on, on you know, one side of, of the ball rather than the other. Because if you're drafting out of high school, you're going to see a ton of guys that can throw, that can pitch, and can hit. Because people in high, the guys in high school, if you're athletic, like we're looking at 
Um, Siegler was able to do both, but that's high school. So that is not very rare. Like there's a lot of those guys. So at what point are they going to say, well, okay, this guy did do it in high school. Maybe he can do it further. I just don't see very many clubs going after that and, and developing that. I can't see very many colleges going after and developing it. Even, even if they were to do it in college, I don't see very many minor league or, or systems putting a guy in their minor league and having them do both. It's just too risky. It's not worth the money. Um, it's not worth the time to develop both. It's just a lot of work. I just don't see it happening. Yeah, well, you, you, but you get like the excitement of what you see, like Siegler's resume. You just get that excitement, and it's like, ah, oh, maybe if they had him try, maybe he could do it. So. Yeah, but you get that excitement for for like it's a flash in the pan. Like this guy would have to, there would have to be so many things over a, a, an amount of years for this guy to even remotely get any kind of level uh, excitement from like a, a major league fan base or a major league club. Like he'd have to do it consistently over so many different levels in the minor leagues. And half these guys can't even do what they're Definitely. good at in the minor leagues. And exactly. The up. chances of him making the major leagues as a catcher are slim as they are. Right. So to yes. him, for him to do it as a, a catcher and a pitcher and even a switch pitcher, if that were to, to ever happen, I mean, astronomical. And it, I get it. And it doesn't I get help, it. But it doesn't help your value either going up because it's so hard to do in the first place that, that why would it be worth it at a lower level to, to build up, to try to do both? Like it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily help value for the, the team because you still have so much further to go. It's, it's, it's like rolling the dice like every single time. Like it's not worth it. The odds of that are you're just decreasing the odds even more for a guy that's going to be, you know, uh, uh, you know, half in one and half in the other, unless he's an absolute freak of a talent. And like we said, they just don't come around. It just not, it doesn't exist. Yeah. And, and Otani, I mean, like, you're saying if it does pan out, but I, I, I'm of the thinking right now, you see, you're seeing forearm injuries. You're seeing him go down. Do you think that they're actually going to go, if he does uh, go into Tommy John, do you think they're going to bring him back as a pitcher? I don't know. I don't think so. I think that we're seeing the end of Otani as the two-way player. I think they will bring him back as a position player, and he will play offense, and that will be it. I don't think, well, that's, I don't think it's going to last much longer. It's interesting because out of Japan, the thing was that, yes, he's a good hitter, but he is a better pitcher. That was his strong thing, was pitching. So they were the, the thing was, if a team signs him, yeah, he wants to do both, so the team would have to agree to let him do both. But a lot of teams were, were saying the, the, he, he pans out as a pitcher in the major leagues, not sure about, about his hitting. He's proven he can hit. But oh, he's definitely proven that he, he can hit. But now, now that you're going down with these injuries, and this was this was uh, something that had lingered, wasn't it? Didn't they? Didn't weren't we yes, talking this about came UCL? up in reports? This yeah. came up in reports in the winter. So this was an this was an area of concern in the first place, and the fact that now it's it's led him to the DL. And yes, he's on the three uh, the ten day DL, and uh, he's going to get reevaluated in three weeks. That's what they're going to look at. And yeah, what are they going to find? They're going to find the something, same tear. <laughs> they're going to find something wrong with a guy that. Uh, you know, has unbelievable but, potential, but they're not paying a lot of money for him. So, you know, that's one of that those was things. the risk. That was the risk with this guy. And teams were willing to sign up for that risk. Absolutely. That's why I don't I just don't believe like if he's coming back, uh, if he's going under if he's going to have Tommy John, if he does end up going that route, it's gonna be very difficult for me to see them trying to bring him back as a um, as as both because he, you'd have to work up again. Now, even talking about a guy like Otani, think about the the rehab after Tommy John. You gotta. He's got to get back as a hitter and get back as a pitcher. Coming yeah, back his rehab is longer. He yes. might not even play in 2019 at all. Right? Maybe he could come back as a hitter, like late 2019, but definitely not as a pitcher. Yeah. So even we, we were talking about that. It's like take. It's like having a uh, 
a foreign car. Like you're going to have to, it's, it's going to be a lot more expensive when you take it to the right. shop. The parts Those are more Jaguars expensive. Jaguars are nice to look at and they're fun to drive, but they're going to cost you a lot. Damn right. So now his rehab is going to take that much longer. So they're, they're going to have some decision. And I'd be curious to find out if any, at any point when they did sign that contract, if there was, uh, you know, within the contract, uh, within the, you know, the small print of the contract, if there was an arm injury, does that now, you know, le- lead the team to saying, okay, if there's an arm injury, a serious arm injury that the team deems as, um, you know, drastically changing the way that you're going to throw or the way that you can play or the way that you can develop as both, we're going to shift gears and go one way. I- I'm interested to see how that works. But you know what this means now? It's a two-way race for Rookie of the Year, Glaber and, uh, and Duhar. It's, a, it's, a, it's like 61 all over again, baby. <laughs> Uh, Yankees got two against the Nats and then a game and a half against the Nats the week after that scheduled pitchers CC versus Tanner Rourke on Tuesday and then Sonny nobody has been announced for uh, Nats at that point and as we said Sonny going to be pitching at home against a good team we'll Strasburg got pulled from his last start too so yep. I doubt he's injured every year yeah every year he's injured. again he's one of those guys he's the Mark Pryor it's the it's the uh, James Caprillion they all have the same a very similar delivery with that high elbow and they gave him a huge extension, too. Wasn't that the beginning of last year? I don't remember exactly when it was, but it's a definitely a risky extension for, for a guy like that. And, and they're just trying to keep him healthy so that he can actually be there for the playoffs, which is ironic because the one year he was healthy, they, <laughs> they kept him out of the playoffs. Yeah, I know. Don't you think if they could have a do-over knowing what Strasburg's future injury history was going to be? Because obviously it didn't keep him healthy. No. They would have just said, let's roll the dice here and yeah. uh, see what he can do uh, in the season. thousand percent. They should have hired me as a consultant. I could have told you exactly how to do it. could have told them that, yeah. yeah. Like, this is going to happen. Yeah. Mailbag time. The first one up is from Ben Payne, and he says, is there anything scarier than watching Giancarlo catch fly balls out in left field? And looked it up. Stanton's been pretty damn good as a left fielder. Small sample size, so small sample disclaimer on defensive advanced metrics. They normalize with more volume. So that is a disclaimer. He's played 21 games out there in left. Uh, Defensive run saved two. Uh, ultimate zone rating 4.4, but if you do ultimate zone ra- zone rating over 150 games, it's 33.4. As a comparison, Gardner's UZR over 150 is 25.2. So he's not that elite of an outfielder, but he has been very, very solid out in left field for the Yankees. I think when uh, this is a lot of optics, actually, because when you're seeing him, and we talked about this when we were discussing Judge and Stanton and the differences between the two guys. When you see Judge out there, as a six seven giant human being, you're seeing a guy that looks from if you're standing from far away, you'll see a guy that looks like he's six two, moves like he's six two. Like the guy runs like a uh, not a giant, but runs very fluid and and does things that uh, normal sized people do. When you look at Stanton, he's definitely a little bit more awkward in the way that he runs and moves and and does things, and and the way I think when you're looking at that and when you see the way that he does things, he gets the job done, but it's not pretty. It's not pretty looking at all. And I think that's what a lot of people look at and they can see. And it's hard to identify the fact that like, oh, I mean, he looks bad, but he's actually catching the ball and still throwing the ball and doing things okay. And maybe that Ben just has the lasting memory of him losing fly balls in the sun in Tampa in spring training. Yeah, I mean, look, he's also playing a brand new position. Before the season started, neither one of those guys had played at all in left field. And now we're seeing Stanton going out and, you know, playing left field where he was in, when he was in Florida, he was a right fielder. So there's a little bit of slack to give a guy that's playing a brand new position. And I think he's doing a pretty good job over there. He's not, he's definitely not a liability in left field by any means. No. And the advanced, the eye, the eye test tells us that 
even though you said he does, he does look a little cumbersome at times, but also defensive metrics say that he's actually been a plus defender. And he, he's had so many adjustments to go through. Um, just to think about, not only is he adjusting to a new position, he's adjusting to a new league and a new city. It's like, it's a, he's gone through a lot. He has not been great. His production has still been solid. We have not seen him have one of these famous Stanton tears where he hits like 20 home runs in 30 games. I'm still expecting that to come at some point. But he has had to go through a lot of transition this season. No, absolutely. And, and I think we're starting to see him you know, potentially turn the corner a little bit. I mean, he seems like he's a lot more loose. He's been hitting uh, a lot better lately. And he was in an interview after, uh, after that home run the other night, that missile that he hit to left field, he, talking about you know, what – just what he's feeling at this point, basically. And he was just talking about it was after the um, it was after the game where it was his uh, where he had made his debut and because he had made his debut in City Field. Right. And talking about that game and, and, and all the emotions that are coming back to it. And he's like, yeah, you know what? I've, I've come back into it. Uh, I've come down to earth and, and just kind of like taking it all in and starting to remember that, you know, this game is fun. It needs to be played as fun and stop putting so much pressure on myself. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing now. We're seeing a guy that's you know, that transition period is starting to uh, to loosen up and he's he's feeling a lot more at home. So hopefully we start seeing those those big tears like you're talking about. Right. What's up next? Next one is from at not Brett Gardner. Uh, at what point do the Yankees decide to give Gary a few days off? He says in parentheses, hopefully to grab lunch with A-Rod to see if he could find his stroke. He's been pitiful all year and we can't ignore it for much longer. Have we ignored it? No, we've definitely talked about it, but we've also <laughs> talked about the fact that he hasn't been as pitiful as people think. Right, but he's I mean, also in a horrible slide right now. He is in a horrible slide, and he doesn't hate. I don't see any really signs of him getting out of it. He's still striking out a ton. He cannot lay off that breaking ball low and away. He had a really good at bat last night, um, Saturday night, and then he battled, battled, battled. Was falling off a lot of pitches. Just missed a couple, and then the breaking ball low and away had a horrible swing at it. So he still looks ugly up there at the plate. I still think he's going to bust out of it. I don't know when, but we have talked about Gary Sanchez struggles this year. And maybe he's just saying at what point as a fan base, can we not ignore it anymore? Well, I think the other thing about this is that, I mean, <laughs> the, the topic came up and, and, you know, I think it was a mailbag last week or the week before that, talking about Austin Roman and the way he's hitting. Like we're right. looking at the backup, the backup catcher who's, who's a personal catcher for Sonny Gray and he's actually hitting uh, currently. He's doing better at the plate. Uh, if you're looking at the last two to three weeks, uh, then Gary Sanchez and the production's there. So, yeah, I mean, while it looks bad right now, I, I do expect Gary Sanchez to come out of this. I think when you're looking at the overall thing, it seems like, you know, I, I don't he hasn't been he hasn't been really standing out in a lot of ways. I mean, he hasn't been doing all that great uh, catching. He hasn't been throwing guys out very often. He has not been hitting. The production has gone down. So I think we're seeing a, just like an overall slump by this guy. And I don't know if he's in his own head, if he's pressing too hard to try to come out of it. But I do expect him to come out of it. He's too good of a player to to stay in a rut for uh, you know for much much longer. But it'll be interesting to see how long he can uh, how long he does stay into this and, and how long it takes him to get out. That being said, this Yankee lineup is still producing at such a high level. It's crazy how you can see one guy or two guys slump that are such important parts of this lineup, and the Yankee still, lineup still be productive. He's always slotted into the middle of the order, third, fourth, or fifth. Does Boone maybe think to move him out of that middle of the order to try and, I don't know, just to get better production there? Because he has been a hole for the last month at a very key spot in the order. Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe not. It's, it's, the thing is, is that the lineup is so deep and there's so, many, so much talent all over the place. 
I don't know. You're not you're not doing much. I mean, we talked about this when A Rod was around. Like, does it really matter if you drop a guy down? Like, is it going to be like, ooh, you drop me down? I'm going to try harder now. Is it one of those things? It, it, that doesn't no, really I happen. Know, but so so I don't think they're, if he does drop him, it's going to be based on a matchup or, or something like that. It's not going to be like a, a demotion down in the lineup. No. Yeah, I agree. This lineup is so freaking good that it it doesn't matter. Like you said, the production they're getting out of seven, eight, and nine in the order is actually been better than it has third, fourth, and fifth in the order for much of and, the And that's what I'm saying. Like, you're looking at a lineup like this. Why why would we change something that's working so damn well? Because some of these, these guys that are, that are, that are, you know, have been slumping with Stanton and, uh, and Sanchez, like they're going to start hitting. And when they do, you know, there, there's so much production up and down. Like, I don't expect, um, I don't expect Gleyber, Gleyber Torres to get into a, a, lo- a long slump. He's just not that type of player. He's such a, uh, such a great, uh, he's got such a great swing and, and he's been just so damn good at, with recognizing pitches and his at-bats are good. Like he's just not the type of player to me that's going to go into a really long slump. I'm sure it will no, happen, but, but not, but like you, but like you spoke with Petriello about, he's not, a, he's not a 50 homer guy Mm-mm. and that's what he's on pace for. So, but that's can't. the thing. That's why that's, but, that, but that's kind of my point. He's more of a bat on ball line drive doubles guy. I think that's what he will project more in his career. So a, a lot of, when you're looking at that guy, you know, He's, he hits for average. I don't think he's going to slump very often. My point being is that you're still going to get that level of production if you're if you're keeping him um, in that seven eight nine spot. You know what I mean? And and if, once you start getting that high level of production from the top, then you have you know a guy hitting for average at the bottom and then boom production at the top. Like you just don't change that. You know what my prediction is? Once Gary Sanchez and Stanton really go on tears, the Yankees will lead the league in runs and home runs. Oh, I mean, easily. <laughs> I mean, they're already easily. they're already there. They already are doing that with guys that are not. They're the guys who we expected to carry the lineup have not carried the lineup yet, and they're all they're leading in the most important category offensively, which is runs. I mean, yes, all the other metrics are fun to look at. What's his What's his on base percentage? What's the what runs created plus? All this slugging percentage, all these advanced metrics we love to discuss. Runs at the end of the day are all that matter in an offense, and the Yankees are best in baseball at scoring runs. Right. So don't change much. It's working. It's working very well, and they're on pace to beat the all-time home run record by a team. They're up to beat that, and we still haven't seen like the prolific months by any of these guys. They've just been co- combined in 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 one big total sum, hitting a ton of home runs. It's only June. We know Gary Sanchez loves August. The last he two August, August, he's actually Senor, Senor Augusto. We we nicknamed him last year. He just murders the baseball in the month of August. Yeah, I, I mean this team's going to put out a ridiculous <laughs> level of production. So let's all uh, let's all ju- stay off the ledge for a team that's literally the best in baseball. Right, Vince Mora. What starting pitcher would you like to see the Yankees target this season? And do you think they will wait until the deadline or act quickly? I think the second part of that is the most interesting part of the question is with now the Tanaka news plus the Montgomery news, do they act quicker than they plan to to act anyway, which we know they were going to act by the deadline? Yeah, that's it's really going to be interesting to see how Cashman is, you know, works this and how he how he goes about his negotiations, which which I'm sure have been ongoing you know, almost from the beginning of the season, he's starting to have, you know, he's had open dialogue with a lot of these guys. I guarantee it. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see who they target. So the, the J.A. Hap, that ja. type, Ja Hap, uh, J. Hap, whatever he wants to be called now, they, that is the type of pitcher uh, that, that before I think Jordan Montgomery, like I, I could see them going after a guy like that 
and and depending on you know who's available, I could see them going after a guy like that. Now I could see them going after a guy like that and potentially a uh, uh, another top guy. Again, all depending on what the the asking price is, who they're competing with, and and how you know how Ninja uh, Brian Cashman can actually get with some of these moves because. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if the Yankees were to, to make a huge splash and go after someone big. It, it would not surprise me. Well, there's been reports that, um, like Rosenthal was talking about on the broadcast, that the pitching market is thin this year, yeah. the trade deadline pitching market. So, yeah, we know Cole Hamels is going to be available. He's probably the biggest name that'll be available. Like People are, get all excited about Jacob deGrom and Madison Bumgarner, but those guys very well could not be moved. Like We, we just talked about how the Mets are, are in a tailspin, but the Mets don't want to rebuild yet i don't think so they're pretty damn they're, old man if you look up and down that lineup they're if they didn't win if they're not winning now there's not much hope on i the agree horizon. with you i agree with you but i'm telling you what i think the like just from listening to experts on the mets talk they don't think they're ready to rebuild so that means jacob Degrom isn't going anywhere here's the deal with the mets and that thing and talking about who's going to um who be moved they have two guys. I think uh, Degrom and Syndergaard are both. Uh, they have they're controlled through twenty twenty. Am I right? It's 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 somewhere around there. I think it's twenty twenty. And if you're looking at a guy that's two years out now and has two more years of control, now's the time to move a guy like that because if you're going into next year, then you know you're dealing with a a year and a half maybe. But now you have two solid years that you could sell a guy who's probably not going to be re-signed. I mean, it's it's pretty optimal time to to, to move a guy like that. That being said, I don't think that the Mets are going to deal with the Yankees. I, I just don't see it happening. You look at the history of the two organizations. If they do make a trade, it's something really small. It's not like a, they make any blockbuster trades. It, it's it's a it's a interesting dynamic because they're both New York teams and they're competing for the same market, kinda. But I just don't see it happening. I, I could see them moving one of those guys though for sure. And if you're going to move one of them, you might as well move both of them. Well, Degrom is twenty twenty one, and Syndergaard is twenty twenty two. Okay, so I'm off by a couple of years. So they're still controlled Cinder- by Syndergaard is younger. He's also more of a risky pitcher. How old is Matt? Might- or how old is um is Degrom? Thirty? Twenty nine? Twenty nine. He's almost thirty, I think. I heard on the broadcast. So you're getting into a year. You know, you're talking about a thirty year old pitcher. You know, you're, you're he's, oh, he's still one of the best in the league. There's no doubt. But you want the if you want to get the most from him, it's coming up. The clock is is ticking for a team that's not going anywhere. Jacob Degrom was born June nineteenth, nineteen eighty eight. Same day as me. There you go. So, you know, I don't know. If I'm the Mets, I'm looking to trade these guys at the at at, at their peak, you know. And that's not Syndergaard right now because he's hurt. But Jacob Degrom can't get much better than this. No, and you're gonna get a just gigantic haul for D- Jacob Degrom. Yeah. So look in the mirror, Mets. Look in the mirror and look at what you're doing. I mean, I kind of don't want them to trade him because I don't think it's gonna be the Yankees. So it's gonna be most likely to a contender that the Yankees are gonna have to deal with, and that's gonna be a problem. So at the end of the day, I kind of don't want them to trade him. Because I don't think they're going to trade with the Yankees. Does Ja Hap get you excited? I wouldn't say Ja Hap gets me excited, but I think he is a good pitcher. I think he's an underrated <laughs> he's, pitcher. He's solid. Yeah. I think people look at the name and they say, really? That's the guy you're targeting? You look at some of the numbers. He's been solid. Um, he certainly would fit into this rotation, and he would be uh, middle to back end of the rotation, the guy you can rely on to go out there. The season 13 starts with the Blue Jays, 77 innings, 3.71 ERA. He's but, Jordan Montgomery. Right. I was just going to say, he's not going to he's not going to put you over any sort of ledge that you need to be put over that this team 
what we want to do is win the World Series. So. Yeah, but the thing is right now is the Yankees need to, uh, one, fight for that, fight for this division because we know how important it is to get that home field advantage. And, and two, you got to fill some spots. I mean, we need bodies to go out there and throw innings. So guys right. like this that aren't going to cost a lot and, and can go out there and give you quality innings and, and quality um, spots every fi- every fifth or sixth day. That that's going to be important leading up to the point because I I, I think this is one thing that, that 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 people get too hung up on. Is this guy going to help us win a World Series? Is he going to be able to go out there in a in a, in a, a seven game series and pitch one of those games? Well, right now we don't need to worry about that. Right now we need to worry about winning regular season games, stacking those up, and getting to a point where we can be in position to win in the uh, in in the playoffs. Because right now they need bodies to throw innings. I mean, they're losing guys in the rotation. At a at a at a bad pace. So, Pe- yeah, people are already calling for really Herman to be out of the rotation. Even which is we're, stupid. Even, we've been saying he's been pretty solid, and I know some of the results aren't there, but he is a rookie and he's shown signs of making improvements, which is really the key that you want to see. But if people are already pissed about Herman, I mean, who knows what they're going to get out of some of these other kids that we talked about that might have to fill this rotation for Tanaka's spot. And Herman, after giving up the three runs on yeah. Saturday. Looked phenomenal. And really settled is, into that game. This is what we're seeing from him. He's he's definitely not started the games off great. It's like the intensity level, or he's just those not are into rookie a problems, yet. though. Those are rookie problems. They're 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 problems. Either one. But the thing is, is that once he settles into a game, you start seeing the talent level from the second inning to the through the sixth inning. You saw that him. He struck out nine guys uh, in six innings. That's and impressive. Zero walks. Zero, zero walks. walks. So he's missing bats again. And that was one of those stats that we said, you know, his whiff, those, those are, you know, he's up uh, at some of the top of the league uh, in missing bats. And such that's an pretty damn good. Stat. It's really such an important stat is how many swings and misses you get. You talk about Chapman and how he's so uh, successful by missing barrels. Well, guess what happens when you don't hit the bat? You miss the barrel. <laughs> hold, hold on. So you're saying if you, if you don't hit the bat, no you bat, can't hit the barrel. No barrel equals good. Good so, stuff. yes, he was good. I mean, I, the, I think too many people are getting on him. Um, for, well, they see for, no wins. They well, see a it high ERA. Matter. None of that matters. You see, I get it. You see the yes. production level for them. I'm talking to, to people who are, are on, on a ledge right now with him. I'm not talking to, not talking to <laughs> you and me here. I'm talking to people who need to identify this guy as a young guy and, and who has a ton of talent, a ton of talent. So he's, he's getting along there. And guess what? He's in this rotation for a long time now. <laughs> yeah, he's not going he's anywhere. He's not going anywhere, so... Get used to him. What's the final one? All right. So next one is from Jason. He says Hicks and Glaber ran into outs on the bases on Saturday. They're obviously uh, they're obviously a great team, but imagine if they could clean up all these little mistakes plus bad fielding errors that we've seen. Have we not seen the potential for this team yet? I mean, that's Kinda two, that's about two that. different questions in there. Yeah, it's like a, a, a macro look and then a very, very small look of what the, the base is. running errors on Saturday are extremely annoying. Hicks gets picked off second base in the first inning and then Glaber gets picked off first base in the ninth inning. Those mistakes, plus the other mistakes we talked about in the double header where they're not they're not calling balls down the left field line or, or throwing errors on simple plays. We have seen the, the this team make a lot of those mistakes and they're still the Best team in baseball. Best team with the Red Sox in baseball. So, yes, again, I will reiterate this one more time. I'm not worried about these little things. These little things get cleaned up as the season goes on. It just happens. They're, they're, they're little mental lapses. Hicks was caught leaning the other way. Like, watch the, the replay again. He was just caught leaning the other way. It was a good pickoff move, well-timed, and he got caught with his pants down. And uh, you see Glaber getting, that was, again, Glaber is making a lot of these little mistakes. I still expect them to be 
cleaned up because he's done so much more good than bad. And the bad has just been like, oh, that's adorable little 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 like mindless errors. Like right. how long is that? Gonna they're not last, egregious. Though. I know it's gonna it's gonna get annoying at some point, and some people are gonna start calling him. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll they'll get on the Cano side where he's just too loosey goosey and smiling too much. Glazy. I expect people they'll to call, call him. Yeah, they'll call him glazy. They um. <laughs> So, yes, I expect those things to clean up. And while it's annoying when you see them, I just I'm not concerned about them at all. It really they're not on my radar as far as concern. They're not. a. I wouldn't say concern. They're an annoyance. And I also realize that you make those mistakes in October and you lose playoff games. You lose playoff series. Yeah, that's fine. I look up and I see what the record is and I see how they're doing as players. And I'm and I forget about those things right now. I do. <laughs> I can't, I yes. can't, I can't dwell on them. I just can't, I can't look at that. It's June 10th. So you can't dwell on them. But, but what I'm saying is if they're making these mistakes in September, we'll dwell on them. The thing about it is like, you start getting into some high leverage situations like that. Those, the focus is going to be laser sharp. You say that, but I know that. Okay. I know that. <laughs> Nostradamus over here. <laughs> Thanks guys for submitting the mailbag questions. If you want to do so, go to bronxpinstripes.com slash podcast or tweet us at Yankees podcast and join the Facebook group. The Bronx Pinstripe Show, just search it in Facebook, join it, and you can also post questions there. We also have a ton of good conversations going on throughout the games in there. Uh, Scott, any last words before we get out of here? The the one thing I want to touch on real quick, and and I know we didn't really get into the, the total game on Saturday as far as like breaking things down because we kind of don't do that anymore. We really just go topic by topic. But looking at that game, the fact that when these Yan- the Yankees were struggling, they, they couldn't really do much against Steven Matz for a while. But you see the guys that get them back into it. You see the Glaber home run uh, early. He was the first kind of chink in the in the armor. Then you see Anduar get up there and hit the the two run shot to to um, to tie the game. And then you see the veteran, the grizzly veteran, Aaron Judge, uh, with you know compared to the three of these. Not guys, even two years into his career, come in there and hit the solo go ahead shot. It's just you know I get chills Uh-oh. thinking about it because you see the the talent level and how young these guys are and and just you know the way that they got into this game, got tied the game up and went forward. It's just a it's a little little version of how beautiful this team is and how they can win. So, it was impressive. And the, again, again the bullpen shuts down um the opposing team for, you know, picking up after <laughs> Herman went. <laughs> the vaunted Mets offense was shut down. Hey, you know what they've been doing it for no, three runs in the first lot. inning. They sh- they shut them down for eight innings after the first inning. That was big. Yeah. But you know what that judge home run did? It just brought back a lot of bad Anthony Swarzak memories for me. Well, that's what I'm saying. I was <laughs> tweeting about this too. I mean, is there a better Met than Anthony Swarzak? That's exactly no, he's the perfect he, Met. He belongs in Queens. It's perfect. And and, and uh, Cespedes is the perfect Met because he he goes out and rehabs and has to leave with quad tightness or whatever it was. Yeah, he just doesn't care. He he's. No. Did you hear his comments? I don't really know if I were to come back if it would really mean much with the way that this team's going. Awesome. <laughs> Love to hear that. Thank you so much. That's a bad. <laughs> that's looking like a bad contract. Um, I. If you're if you're the ownership of the Mets, you have to you have to go to Cespedes and, and really find him or something for that. That is horrible. I mean, okay, find him. What is he gonna do? He'll take. I don't know what you got to do. You can't just t- call. You basically just called your teammate shitty. Yeah, well, that's exactly what he did. So our team sucks. So I'm gonna go down with another injury real quick and uh, go play some more golf while you guys suck for the rest of the year. It's very Mets. That's, very Mets. That's exactly what he's doing. It's exactly All right, what's happening. All right, guys, we'll talk to you on Thursday. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, 
We'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it, and go Yankees. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.